my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. iHeartRadio presents Podversations, a weekly discussion with the biggest names and influencers in podcasting. Want to learn the secret psych-up rituals Scrub star Zach Braff and Donald Faison use before every fake doctor's real friends taping? How Vice News parachutes into war zones to rescue journalists from life-threatening situations? Or why Keegan-Michael Key and Blumhouse believe 3D audio is the future of storytelling? Whether you're a newbie trying to break into the podcast game or an exec trying to refine your playbook, Podversations is the easiest way to keep your pulse on the industry. Hey everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us for this week's session of the iHeart Podcast Network Speaker Series. This is my favorite part of the week where I get to take a break and talk uh, for half hour with folks out there in the world of media, culture, politics, who are making incredible content in some way or another. We started this about a year ago as the whole world moved into a bit of a new world order. We wanted to stay a little bit connected and kind of selfishly, we wanted to talk about our favorite topic, podcasting. And it grew into this great weekly session. Most Thursdays at noon, we stop down and I've been fortunate enough people have conversations with everybody from Malcolm Gladwell to Paris Hilton to Martha Stewart. And it's been phenomenal. Just the way people are processing 2020 and beyond and the kind of content they're making to react to that. 
This week's session is, I think, one of the coolest we've done. Chelsea Clinton needs no introduction, but we are incredibly psyched, Chelsea, to be in partnership with you to build a really amazing new podcast. First of all, I imagine you're one of those people that stuff is probably like literally not getting done right now because you're taking a half hour to talk to us. So I, I really do deeply appreciate you hanging out with us for a second. Connell, thanks so much for having me. As I shared before we went live, I... Um, I'm grateful that this is sort of a, at least for those of us on the East Coast, kind of lunchtime session because it means I could take over my kids room, which has the best sound in our apartment. So if you're like wondering like where I am, like there's like a giraffe above my head and there's like, you know, elephants and whales on the wall behind me. But thankfully uh, it's okay because they're eating lunch. So it's perfect. They're eating lunch and I can be in here. That pretty much summarizes 2020 and now 2021 <laughs> for all of us. I think uh, I'm in the one room in my house where kids are not right now. So we're in the same boat to some extent. Lots of like intra-family choreography, right? Of like who has to be on which like Zoom or Google Meet or Microsoft Teams or like whatever platform you're on or Google Classroom, which, oh my gosh, you know, has probably been the predominant like platform in our family's life. So yes, lots of intra-family choreography, I think for everybody. It's phenomenal. So how have you been, and maybe that's the answer is just kids and class is like 99% of it, but how have you been spending quarantine? Like for myself, I find myself a lot more time with my kids, whether it's me trying to wrangle them back to a Zoom call or or just being with them and around them more, but also a lot more time consuming media and not in a bad way. I'm just binging shows faster than ever. I'm reading more than I ever did. What about you? Like what has quarantine changed in your own personal life like that? So definitely even more time with my kids, which has been wonderful. A lot of games. Uh, my kids are small, uh, so they're one, four, and six, at least that with our four and our six-year-olds. And um, we play lots of games. We play charades. We play a lot of card games, like endless games of Uno. We played one Uno that went on for like five days, I think. We've discovered new games like Rat-A-Tat Cat and Sleeping Queens, games that weren't around when I was a kid. And we do lots of family reading. We do lots of family art projects to varying degrees of success. We watch a lot of family movies on the weekend. This past weekend, we watched Raya and the Last Dragon and had like very intense conversations about friendship and forgiveness and hope and bravery. So that's a rambling answer, but an honest one. I will say in the first part of quarantine, we baked a lot, which I know was pretty common. We found ourselves like, you know, baking like 18 iterations of banana bread. <laughs> uh, and that's probably the thing that like didn't really persist because I think there was just so much baking and I was like, oh, this is like, you know, early literacy and early math. And I'm like teaching my kids fractions and my husband's like, what is happening? I'm like, it's okay. We're making another cake. You like cake. It's fine. And then maybe about like four or five months into quarantine i was like okay we can't actually sustain like this level of like baked good consumption it doesn't exactly <laughs> go with like the healthy habits we're trying to implement so now things like you know twice a month instead of like, twice a day. two things in common with this like raya is actually on repeat in my house right now we've watched it maybe 17 times in the last 72 hours we've only Not watched once but i've already been asked when do we get to watch it again so yeah, it's on repeat and I'm not having nearly as deep conversations about it. The conversations are more like, can we start the movie again? And it's usually, <laughs> yes, I've got to go do a Zoom call with Chelsea Clinton. But the second thing is banana bread. Somehow I've made a lot and it's getting worse every new time I make banana bread. It's actually to the point of like, I will hit inedibility, if that's a word, at some yeah. point. And that's really the goal of quarantine. But 
Look, like you're a relatively new mom. You have kids coming up in the world now. You, for your in your own life, have two of the smartest, well-known, most accomplished parents, period. And when you look at your own kids and how you want to bring them up and what you want to expose them to or not expose them to and the stuff you want to teach them or not, how did you handle growing up like that with the pressure, maybe not, that comes with parents that smart? that accomplished i hope i handled it you know i am so proud of my parents and my parents always made me feel included uh, in their work so you know i remember being a little kid connell and like the first thing i learned how to read was a newspaper truly i know that sounds like so nerdy and like we would talk about like what i'd read in the newspaper and my parents expected me to have some awareness about what was happening in you know in arkansas or around the world they wanted me to have opinions rooted in fact not fiction about kind of what i thought should be happening i've always loved animals and so kind of i think the first real issue that i felt connected to as a kid was like animal conservation trying to save the elephants which unfortunately you know is still something that we need to focus on because we didn't do it in the 80s so we need to do it you know now in the 2020s and so i just i think i felt connected to their work in a way and yet i never doubted that i was the center of their world that I was the most important part of their lives. And so when I now think about being a parent, like I told my kids I was coming to talk to you, like they, you know, see me like do my homework and preparing for my podcast interviews. Like I want them to be connected to my work to understand why why mom works so hard, why I, I teach and I write and I now podcast and I make content and I try to also like redirect the spotlight that has always been on me to you know, other people and organizations that I think are doing important work. And yet I want them to know that one of the reasons, the main reason actually I do all this work is because I want there to be a different and a better world for them to grow up in. And yet I never want them to doubt in the same way that I never doubted that they're the most important part of my life. So I think that is the real gift of parenting in some ways that my parents gave me, not only as their child, but also for the role models they really were as parents. And was there a moment in your life where you realized maybe really young that the status and stature of them as who they were in the world, not just mom and dad, but also these other things? How did you process that? Well, when I I was a little girl in Arkansas. Arkansas still had gubernatorial terms that were two years. So when I was a little girl, my dad was running for governor like pretty consistently. And so, you know, I have these memories of just being a little kid, like standing on the side of a rally, like waving American flags, and, like handing out stickers because, you know, when you're three, like that's kind of what you can do to be supportive and like cheering really loudly. So I don't remember a time when I wasn't aware that my parents were in public service and that we as a family were in public and under public scrutiny. It's incredible. So you've come a long way from handing out stickers at the age of three or four. I still love stickers, Connell. <laughs> don't knock stickers. I still love stickers. Today, you wear a lot of hats. So you're clearly a mom, but also an author, vice chair of the Clinton Foundation. If somebody were to approach you and say, what's your job? What do you do? How do you answer this question? You know, I think that my calling, which is what I think of it more as than just a job, is to 
try to help empower people. So whether that's through information and stories that you know, I'm looking forward to sharing on In Fact, or through the books that I've written, whether for you know, little kids like my kids age or that I teach about like in graduate school at the Mailman School of Public Health or whether it's the work that we do kind of through the Clinton Foundation, especially around health and education. Like I think my calling is to try to help empower people in every way that I can. So you mentioned In Facts. We've launched this podcast with you called In Fact. The trailer for it is out there in the world now on pretty much everywhere where you can listen to podcasts, including the iHeartRadio app. Where did this idea come from? You know, this idea really came from, you know, circling back to where we started this conversation from the pandemic. I have always been drawn to kind of public health as an area of passion, concern, purpose. I have a master's degree in public health. I have a doctorate degree that focuses on kind of global public health. I've taught now for a decade at the Mailman School of Public Health at Columbia. And yet from most of my professional life, Connell, when people kind of would say like, oh, well, like, what are you working on now? And I would talk about a book I was working on or a story I was hoping to share or kind of what I was teaching. I would just see like people's eyes glaze over. They're like, oh God, what is public health? Like, what are you talking about? Like, wait, what is epidemiology? Like, why should I care about what's happening on the other side of the world? Wait, like there's still polio. And now we have more people than ever before paying attention to public health. And yet I don't want people to think like public health and COVID are synonymous because COVID isn't even the only infectious disease crisis we're facing around the world currently, much less the only public health crisis we're facing here in the United States. So admittedly, I hope to rather boldly, I guess, exploit the fact that people are paying attention to COVID to help really kind of inform, educate, and empower people to be engaged in other public health issues, whether that's our addiction crisis in our country or recognizing climate change as a public health issue, mm. or that there's still tens of thousands of Americans who contract HIV AIDS every year. So there's a lot that I hope to do, clearly. Why do you think it has such a hard time stealing back or getting its share of the news cycle? Like we talk a whole lot about immigration infrastructure starting to get a little bit of its day in the spotlight. But this one, you're right, it's now that I think about it, it really has to fight and struggle for its spot on the stage. Why is that? Is it that it's just a really not nice topic for people to talk about? Does it feel insurmountable to people? What is it? Yeah, I think it's all of that. And I also think that it's just because we haven't done a good enough job, kind of we kind of in the public health community haven't done a good enough job, I think of helping connect even kind of what you just talked about to public health. So infrastructure is a public health issue. Like how easy is it to walk in your city? That's a public health issue because we want people to be moving more, especially now kind of as it's becoming springtime and the weather's getting nicer, at least here in New York City, you know, or if we're thinking about like, you know, broadband access, which is a kind of, you know, a 21st century infrastructure issue. How easy is it to access information? Like that's a public health issue. If you want to know what the flu stats are in your area, or if you want kind of reliable, good information about, you know, how to think about a healthy diet or, you know, how to think about helping to sleep train your child, like that's certainly like all related to public health. So I hope that I can help draw those connections through, in fact, for anyone and everyone who would listen. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. 
Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Before you launched this with us, and I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but we're sort of obsessed with the podcast medium at iHeartMedia. We have this huge network of over 500 shows, 300 million downloads a month almost now. But there's something, frankly, kind of rare and odd happening in podcasting where you have 100 million Americans a month now listening to podcasts. One out of three of us consume this medium in some way, shape, or form every single month. And it's rare because that doesn't happen that often where a whole new content type comes along and actually takes permanent real estate in all of our media diets, if you will. So as you orbited podcasting and finally jumped in and wanted to launch this thing, why do you think that is? What is there something about a podcast that maybe in your own podcast listening, you feel is just a little bit different and special. The way that the content sounds, the way you process it, the way you bring it into your own life. What do you think it is? Well, I grew up listening to the radio with my mom. My mom listened to NPR every morning when I was a kid. So I have always admittedly been an, you know, someone who has loved listening to content, loved listening to good stories. We listened to audio books, you know, when I was a kid and we would take long road trips from, you know, Arkansas to South Carolina, for example. And so I may not be the best person to answer this question, Connell, because like I have listened to 
podcasts for years. So while certainly my podcast consumption, just like as we were talking about earlier, like and my my book consumption, like my you know media consumption has increased over the last year, it didn't start with kind of quarantine. So I I wouldn't want to like hypothesize about kind of for people for whom this is a newer experience because for me like I love podcasts I listen yeah. to podcasts about everything from I, I listened to a lot of baking podcasts admittedly when I was you know in that like baking frenzy that that was a new one for me I admit when I was like listening to people like talk about like, that's what got us to the hundred million a month yeah was I was that person yeah you're like why did she used to only listen to like news podcasts or culture podcasts or history I consume a lot of history podcasts I love history podcasts whether about the Civil War or ancient Rome. Like I listened to a lot of history podcasts, but I did. I was like, oh yeah, they're like baking podcasts. It was like a whole new world for me. But then admittedly, I left that world because again, I had to already confess that I just realized it was like not going to be good for anybody's waistlines in our family if I kept like, you know, baking German chocolate cake and strawberry cupcakes and everything <laughs> on the menu last spring. Well, we have found, so that's sort of on the listener side. You have, you have a whole lot of people now listening to podcasts and some to baking podcasts. On the creator side, what I think is equally awesome, definitely interesting is I've heard this in the last three or four sessions we've done like this and with really different kinds of creators. I've heard it from Paris Hilton that we launched a podcast with a few weeks ago to Bowen Yang, the really, for my money, the funniest guy on Saturday Night Live right now, to Pete Buttigieg. Everyone talking about podcasting in a way where they're, they're sort of like, I have my podcast. I launched this because I wanted to be part of a cool medium. I thought there was a lot of cool content happening in this medium. I wanted to be in that mix. What I didn't expect was, we throw this word around a lot, but the authenticity of the conversations I get to have, it's become, and I swear, I keep hearing this, it's become sort of like the hour in the week that I look forward to the most because I get to sort of really be who I am. I'm not rushed. No one's going to edit me down into a, the perfect 10 minutes later, and uh, especially Bo and Yang, the guy from Saturday Night Live, he was like, you know, I'm a comedian by trade. I'm on Saturday Night Live right now. It's a pretty busy schedule I have. Podcasting has become my respite every single week. This thing, he has a great show called Las Culturistas. You started to have a lot of conversations with people for, in fact, does it feel similar to you? Is there any element of that you relate to? Yes, emphatically. And I think it's because we have more time at least for me, like thankfully I have, I have a lot of time and yet I never have felt, and I now have had many conversations for in fact, I've never felt though that I have to fill that time. Like the time just is consumed by the organic nature of the conversation. Like I may be talking to someone about addiction and then we wind up talking about how we talk to kids about addiction. And then that winds up to talking about like what we had for breakfast that morning because somehow there was a segue and then that like circles to archery or something. Like, it's just, I don't, I get, then I think that that is what makes it so exciting and such a privilege like as a host. But I also think that that spontaneity and the surprise of that spontaneity is also what makes it so much fun as a listener. It's almost like this medium is the anti-soundbite. It's like when you're actually just able to talk. It was funny when we did a great show with Pete Buttigieg and he was coming off the campaign trail before being part of the, the Biden administration. And I think he could have done any kind of media. Anyone would have hired him. 
to do something because he's articulate, he's confident, but he chose podcasting as the first thing he would do because of that exact thing. He's like, it feels unrushed. It feels genuine, authentic. I can say what I want to say. Conversations can just be what they are. What have some of those conversations been about who with? Can you tease a couple of them for us? Sure. Well, I got to speak with Jane Fonda, which was so much fun for me, candidly, because she's just someone that I have looked up to and admired my whole life. She's also someone that I know was a really inspirational figure from my grandmother, to whom I was incredibly close, and she passed away almost a decade ago. And so it was just so fun when I was talking to Jane Fonda, because I was just like really saturated with memories of my grandmother, like talking about how much she admired this fearless, you know, gutsy woman. And so you know, just talking to Jane Fonda about why it's so important to her in her 80s to continue to be an actress and an activist, how much she feels the responsibility of proving that kind of women can and be and should do whatever they want to do kind of at any stage of their lives. And yet that responsibility to her isn't claustrophobic mm. and how purposeful she is about trying to constantly kind of give her spotlight to others, especially younger women in the climate movement. And you know, we spoke about kind of the devastating consequences of air pollution on kids' health um, here in the United States and also really around the world. And I just had so much fun talking with her even about such a serious issue. So that was one of the first conversations I had and a really, really special one for me. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. She's amazing. I just was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like I'm, you know, I, when I spoke to her, I was like, uh, you know, it was right before my birthday. And I just remember thinking like, God, I hope that I can mark my life in a similar way of just like fierceness and fun and power and purpose and just like, she's very much a North Star on so many fronts. What do you do to prepare for that? Is it intimidating to dial into that call? Are you like, okay, I've got my list of 27 questions here. I don't know where to start. Like, what do you do? I'd been lucky enough to do an event with her a few months before for her most recent book. So I'd read her most recent book already. And then especially for Jane Fonda, because she had been arrested, you know, at the Capitol kind of for her fire drill Fridays, I read like not only all of the interviews she had done about that seminal moment, but I didn't want to just like talk about that one moment. I really wanted to talk about like what had drawn her into the work of you know, trying to help people understand what a crisis climate change is. And I really want to talk to her because this is something I think about in my own life too, like how she balances out being an actress, like being an advocate, like being a writer, like being a mom and a grandmother. So I consumed a lot of her words kind of that she'd written and that she'd kind of given interviews in. And yes, I'm sure I probably had like 27 questions and I probably only asked like four of them because then like whatever she said, like sparked something else that we talked about. The people that you talk to, it feels like I'm talking to you here, like what I sense is a serious drive and an energy, but also like a general optimism about the world. And, well, we and have I'm, to be optimistic, right? Like otherwise, like why would any of us get out of bed in the morning, right? Like I think a lot about something that my friend Jim Kim, who was the president of the World Bank and one of the founders of Partners in Health, just like this giant of a kind of, you know, public health servant and thinker, you know, I heard him say this maybe a decade ago, Connell, and I think about this all the time where he said, optimism is a moral choice. 
right? You have to believe that your energy can make a difference. Otherwise, like, why would you try? I want us to try. <laughs> I want us all to try every day. That's incredible. I mean, I feel like there's probably no better mantra for 2020 and now 2021 because we're still in it than that. You feel like that maybe call it cautious optimism, maybe just optimism, is shared by a lot of the people you're talking to in the In Fact podcast. Do you feel like that's out there? Yes, because, you know, I'm talking to people who are like living with the issues I'm highlighting, like whether they themselves are kind of personally experiencing them or they're studying them or they're working on them. And so, you know, when I'm talking to Jonathan Van Ness about why he decided to share his HIV positive status, you know, he was really nervous about doing that. And yet he just felt like he had been given this platform and there's so much stigma around sex and around HIV in our country. And he just felt like, oh, I want to be brave. And so he was brave. And I think bravery and optimism go hand in hand. So absolutely, I think the people I'm talking with, the you know, artists, activists, doctors, you know, I spoke to the amazing doctor, Dr. Oni Blackstock, who's an HIV doctor here in New York City. And also, you know, she's a black woman doctor on the front lines of fighting the AIDS crisis. She's also fighting racism in public health and medicine. You just think about, oh my gosh, like she could be depressed every day, but she's not because she doesn't think that would help her work or her patients or her spirit. And so, you know, we talked about what motivates her. And then we talked about like the plants that I could see in the background, because now we're not just talking to people, you know, like on the phone, like we're talking through forums like this. And so, you know, that humanity too, of like these amazing doctors who, you know, she wasn't baking. She was like, you know, just getting ever more plants in the beginning of the pandemic to take care of, to like pour her nurture into. It's incredible. So we wanted to make a cool show with you. We have, in fact, is an amazing podcast. We can't wait to share it with the world. But this conversation has been so much more than that about, you know, choose bravery, choose optimism as we move into yet another new world order, hopefully really soon. But I, I really do, first of all, just genuinely appreciate you taking a half hour out to talk to us, but also just dedicating at least a big share of your energy to the public health issues in the United States and the world. I I really do appreciate it. I think it's fair to say we are all affected by it in very personal ways and big ways, and there's not enough attention on it. So Chelsea, I cannot thank you enough for hanging out with us today. Oh, Connell, thank you so much. And just a massive thank you to the whole iHeart team because it's just been such a pleasure. I mean, you've made it easy, thankfully. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time today too. Everybody, thanks for hanging out with me and Chelsea today. Please come back next week. Chelsea, again, thank you. Stay safe, stay sane. And thank you to your children for letting us use their room. Yes, thank you. It's a great sound booth for the last half an hour. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself, Chelsea. Thanks so much. Stay safe, everyone. Podversations is a production of iHeartRadio. You can find more from the biggest names in podcasting on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com.